Great chiropractors and physical therapists are under constant pressure of declining insurance reimbursements and long hours. But did you know there's a way to double your profit without working more? By building a gym onto your practice, you can earn more income, stabilize your business, and be a hero to your family, patients, and team. It's a big undertaking with a huge reward. Dr. Josh Satterley has done it, changed his life, and now wants to help you do the same. Welcome to Clinic Gym Radio. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Clinic Gym Radio. I am your host, Dr. Josh Satterley, and I am honored to be on today with Dr. Jason Holm. Jason, how are you? I'm doing well, Josh. How are you? I'm doing great, man. And where are you, uh, where are you fighting out of? Uh, Nashville, Tennessee, 20 minutes north, a little town called Hendersonville. Yeah. The ironic thing is I'm in uh, Las Vegas, but I'm in a little town called Henderson, and you are in Hendersonville. So uh, you win the, the Scrabble competition because you have more letters, but it's the same base word. Yeah. And we win because we got Johnny Cash. Uh, this was his hometown. And then... Um, Good old Taylor Swift was here before she peaced out on us and moved to New York City. <laughs> I'm sure that some of her songs when she was 16 and in love were written about you, but you know, I, I don't want to expose your, your relationship there. So we'll move on to more things uh, clinic-based. Does that sound okay? I appreciate that. Yeah. So Jason, you are a chiropractor uh, doing kind of the advanced uh, evidence-based kick-ass, awesome model of care. Uh, can you kind of go into some you know details of how long you've been in practice, where you went, uh, some of those deeds for us? Yeah, absolutely. So my background started when I was 16. I was um, really heavy into martial arts and Wataru in our region is really big. And as far as karate tournaments went, this was before MMA was big. So as far as full contact back then, you still had pads on. And you, so you had headgear, you had chest pads, you had everything. And there was a big tournament locally. And I was projected to win that tournament. And when I showed up, um, the way they did the drawings at this tournament, I ended up getting the number one guy in the nation at the time that I was going to fight in the first round. So as I thought, everything was going to go great because I have a slightly retroverted hip on the right side, which in martial arts allows you to do a machine gun kick that's incredible. And so from this perspective, it's a lot of points. Well, on this one day, um, straight away, I got two points. I thought I was going to just handle this guy. And then right away, it was obvious that he was a true athlete and I was a one trick pony. And he gave me a spinning kick to the ribs that hurt more than anything that I remember ever experiencing. So anyway, I was out at that point. Um, I finished the fight, but it, it was a joke. Well, anyway, after that, we went to our primary care and talked to her. It was, and it was she said, bad. look, let's get some x-rays. It was that bad. Yeah, it was bad. Wow. It was bad. Okay. So my history was, so, was that I was a really bad asthmatic up until I was 15 and at this point, it, nothing had hurt more. So I was for sure it was broken ribs. And we went to the primary care, got the x-rays, came back, they were negative. And in that moment, what I didn't understand at the time is the psychological factors that go along with that. So she says, there's, there's nothing broke. You should be fine in a couple of weeks. Just take some rest. But I was a black belt instructor at our studio, and that's what I identified with. So anyway, when I tried to go back to teach, there was no way. Like, I couldn't do anything. So we gave it a week or two. Went back to primary. She's like, look, we can send you to therapy, but um, I really don't think it's going to help. You just need to wait a little bit longer. Well, my mom said, I'm going to the chiropractor. Maybe you should go. And I go, I have no idea what that is, but I guess I'll go. Anything will help. Went to the chiro and it happened to be one of those cases where in one treatment, dramatic change. I could take a deep breath in again, uh, felt dramatically better. And in that moment, I knew this is definitely the profession I wanted to go to. 
So it's a very emotional response, if that makes sense, to a very specific event that felt like it was taking away my identity. Yeah, so so you felt like that one kick completely destroyed you. Didn't It wasn't just the pain inside the ring, it was the pain that... Man, this guy just took away everything that I'm about, everything that I'm capable of, everything, you know, I mean, this is like the basis of pain science, right? Like- exactly. So that's what got me so big into that um, after grad school. But anyway, I went out to Logan in St. Louis um, for chiropractic college. And when I got out there initially, um, it wasn't exactly what I thought I signed up for. You know, the philosophy classes early on, it wasn't what I expected. Then I found the Motion Palpation Institute, which was uh, really pushing the evidence at the time. And I instantly fell in love with that niche and then then found pain science and I found functional movement and found DNS, et cetera. And I knew I was at home. Uh, the interesting thing was that wasn't what attracted me to the profession initially, right? So it was one manipulation that was so helpful, but the experience that came out of that was dramatic. Yeah. So you were kind of attracted for the, the what do we want to say, the surface levels treatment, but truly what kind of got you to buy off on this and make a lifestyle out of this or you know, build your life around it is the deeper meanings of what this does to patients. Even if that, whether that patient is a, you know, 62 year old that's had recurrent disc injury or a what 16 year old kid at a karate tournament. How old are you? Yeah, I was 16 at the time. Um, so now 32, but yeah. And so what year did you, uh, were you in chiropractic college so that people kind of have some perspective of this? I was there 06 to 09. I just want to put that in perspective for folks because, you know, back then MPI, D, I mean, DNS was da- damn near unheard of, right? And uh, motion power. Yeah, it wasn't DNS yet. Yeah. <laughs> right. It wasn't yeah. that cool. It was still those crazy people from Prague, right? Yeah, it was just, uh, you know, we just fly over a few individuals from Prague and, uh, you know, you go to Pavel's course and that's pretty much what it was at the time. And hope you understand what he's saying with the accent. Right. Right. That's why you keep retaking it. So you take A three times and then you're like, oh, got it. Got it. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. So you got out of school. I know you started up a practice and uh, and you kind of took everything you could get your hands on. And uh, and then you and I met at, at a little soiree called the uh, Functional Movement Mentorship there in, was that North Carolina, right? Yeah, that was out at Duke. And I'll say, you know, in every clinician's life, there's certain points that dramatically change things, right? So you close the door in one season and you open up another. And that was a dramatic one for me that, um, I mean, one, we were in a room with just great individuals, but the amount of time we were able to ask really specific questions, um, so much exposure, you know, to all the guys that we respect a lot. And uh, I think that's an unbelievable experience. Obviously, I'm really biased towards it and really push Kyle every time I talk to him to, you know, light that fire again. But you know, there's other things in the works at the time, but yes, that was an Kyle awesome Kiesel, week. Yeah, Kyle Kiesel, we're talking to you. You should restart the mentorship, brother, because I will say from being in that room with you, Jason, I was like, oh, wow, there are other Kairos that believe in this model, you know, because it felt like we were going in the world of PT a little bit, and that's certainly what the room was, you know, and then you realize, nope, this is just the future of all musculoskeletal care. Completely agree. And then, you know, I have my opinions about how I think taking that system as our construct to build out further systems is the ultimate tool for the chiropractic profession. I 100% agree with you. Yeah, I know you are. And that's why I wanted to have you on here is like your love of systems is incredible. And, you know, I think you're a guy that has systematized every piece of your practice that you have, that you can. And that's allowing you to, how would I say this? Uh, Your schedule has the number of people you've seen a week looks, looks to, 
on the outside, like it would be somebody doing like five minute little rack and crack million dollar rolls. But in fact, every one of your patients is spending greater than what, 30 minutes in your office. Yeah. 45 minutes at least. Yep. Yeah. And and you're still seeing well over what's uh what's kind of your average weekly number of visits for people's reference point. At this point, average around 140 okay. um, for I, us. I'm, so like last week was 150. It, it just fluctuates around there uh, depending on the scenario. Now that, for all of you who just spit out your coffee, I just want to make sure we're clear there. So let's say 140 on average, 130 on average, uh, spending 45 minutes in the office. And that is not with a whole team of Kairos, but with a team of well-trained individuals at multiple levels that's giving every one of your patients a full complete treatment, right? Like, Uh, yeah, that's why you systematize is it allows you to scale up like that. So can you, for our listeners that are now like, uh, you know, they're lifting themselves up off off the floor, they're coming back to reality because they they can't believe what they're hearing here. Can you kind of tell us how these systems, you know, how this all started? Yeah. So a multitude of different ways. I think there's been so many, like we talked about the other seasons and clinicians lives, but there's been you know, at any point, you're going to reach a point where you feel like you're at 100% capacity. And then that's when you really realize you've got a system that's fallen apart or a lack of a system. So I remember early on, two years into practice, and I was seeing 75 a week thinking, man, there's no way someone can see 80 people in a week. It's just <laughs> not possible in this model. Right. And then to see that same conversation come up almost every year and a half, has been uh, pretty profound in my opinion. That's awesome. Well, okay, so I got to ask you. So, you know, when we talk about systems, a lot of people are going, all right, yeah, 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 that's great. But does that just mean you're doing these like systematized, I'm doing that in air quotes, kind of standard care plans? Like, oh yeah, just see everybody three times a week for four weeks. And, you know, um, and, and that's the easiest way to systematize your schedule, right? So that I can figure out exactly how many patients I need because everybody's going to have the same number of visits and, uh, does that work or is there a better way? Yeah, that's a great question. So when I first started out, again, you know, in 2009, when you came out in practice, we were right at the Great Recession and there was so much fear about opening your own place. And I knew what got me passionate about the profession was this idea of coming back to my hometown, opening up a practice. So I knew that's what I wanted, but the one thing that you don't have is you really don't have the business mentors you think you do. So Dr. Brett Winchester was my biggest mentor. Anything I ever wanted, he was there to provide me and set me on the right path. But the same thing is, once you open your own practice, you actually feel like you're pretty alone there again. So my wife was the office manager and it was me and that's all we had for the longest time. And so then you find yourself reaching out to people and then you find out that there are opportunities where that individuals could uh, in the consulting world, you know, could prey on your fears a little bit. And then all of a sudden you sign up for this big coaching plan. Well, I remember talking to someone that I respect a lot and he goes, look, this is how it's got to work your first couple of years. Every patient that comes in, you need to recommend three times a week for four weeks. At the end of that treatment plan, that buys you time. It does, you know, if, if you get them better faster, awesome. You exceeded their expectations. If not, then, you know, it was a reasonable amount of time. And I remember the first day, first time attempting this. A, it didn't feel right. I, It was just completely uncomfortable for me because at the time when we came out, it was the evidence-based crew was trying to 
set the best practice standards and best estimation for care, right? And then we would hear of these other providers that would have these long, lengthy care plans. So the MPI model at the time was, oh, if it takes more than three or four visits to fix them, like we must be missing it. So you've got this internal struggle. So instantly I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll attempt this. And I remember this lady very clearly because it was one of the first urgent cares I ever marketed to. And I went in there and asked um, just to bring them lunch. And they said, absolutely. Took them lunch, had a great conversation. And they go, man, we are really looking for someone from the conservative care side to refer all of our cases to because we get you know, over 10 a day. I was like, <laughs> oh my gosh, my life just changed. This is... The greatest this, moment in my complete career. This is when Richie Rich's and, dog's eyes start popping out in the shape of dollar signs. <laughs> student loans will not be a problem. This is amazing. Well, um, that afternoon, I go back to the clinic, tell my wife. She's like, oh my gosh, that'd be amazing. That day, we get our first referral, and I'm ecstatic. Patient comes in. Obviously, I'm nervous. I go into the treatment room. And again, this is very, very early into practice. And I do the evaluation. It's upper back pain. She's severe at the time, but it still seems like a case that would be straight away. But at the time, again, I didn't have good motivational interviewing skills. I didn't take the best history ever. So I asked her, you know, how, what are you expecting today, et cetera. And she's like, yeah, I'm looking for relief and et cetera, et cetera. And I say, okay, well, here's what I think it's going to take. I go through the anatomy book. I show her all these things. And I say, I think it's going to take three times a week for four weeks. And she gives me these eyes that I literally have never forgot. And she goes, that's three copays a week. And I didn't know what she meant at the time. And I was like, yeah, I think I could definitely make sure you're better in that time span. And she goes, I was just looking for a little relief. This is not what I'm looking for. And I'll never forget that. Meaning that was one person's advice that was these standard care plans based on a six-week heal cycle of an acute injury, that person should get better. But it just, it, it just didn't fit right with me, if that makes sense. And that, um, oh man. So I've been very custom in our treatment plans ever since, if so, that makes sense. So this lady gives you the eyes. You see that she is not jiving with what you're pitching. And then she's going to upstream that to the MD that gave you the referral and now those 10 referrals a week are definitely, or 10 referrals a day or whatever she said, are definitely not going to you, right? I mean, that... Uh, oh, this, this gets better. Yeah, the part I left out here is this was the owner of the clinic's um, sister. And she was the accountant for the entire chain of um, urgent care clinics. Uh, it was an absolute nightmare. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. This is God, uh, yeah. God smiling down and saying, <laughs> oh, you got a plan, Jason? Okay, well, here, try this. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, it was incredibly humbling because it it made ah. me crave more information. How do I get more evidence? Because this isn't this isn't it. I know I've got weaknesses in my diagnosis. I've got weaknesses in my motivational interviewing skills, and I think that really set me on the path that I was looking for to say. Obviously, the systems aren't in place. I need more answers. Yeah, and you know, the other thing is when you don't have those systems and you don't have the knowledge, your confidence gets just chopped like. Uh, like with an ax right there, right? I mean, just crushed you probably. And I think that's where I educate so many young students that to be able to lean on a mentor is incredible, but not everyone can do that. 
So my advice is to lean on something like the SFMA or the movement system, because it's going to give you the answers you're looking for. And it's going to be very straightforward in A, either you're getting the results or you're not. And I, I will back you up 100% there because you know I came from the world, we kind of have similar backgrounds when we met at that mentorship. We had done a lot of training with like ART and whatnot. And the scariest thing for me was you do all this ART on somebody or chiropractic manipulation or whatever. And when they don't get better, you don't have a systematic approach to identify why. Like you're just left there in the cold. Like, I, I don't know why this didn't work. And that to me was the worst feeling ever. Yeah, I agree. The, um, I, just how many times that I think it was challenging that someone would come in with what I would think was hip impingement and then you still get laser focused. So often we would talk about how important it is that we treat function. We don't chase pain. That was our, our big premise coming out in 09. I think everyone in you know, I was the club rep for MPI at the time, and I think everyone left there with that mantra. But what happened time after time is that we kept chasing pain only, meaning not just, yes, it's important to, you know, desensitize a painful area, but literally we would be locked in focus, even though we would say we're chasing function in these outcomes. We had no way to truly measure. You know, we put them on a six inch step down over and over again or you know, whatever functional test we were using at the time, but there was no system to it. So it literally looked like you were just throwing darts at the wall and seeing what stuck. Right. And that's no way to move forward. So, well, okay. So before our listeners, uh, you know, they're, they're probably vigorously shaking their head like, yes, I've done this, I've done it. So let's talk about the transition into systematizing what you did. And maybe at the end, you can share a couple success stories off of that. But uh, when did you really start implementing a system, whether that was the functional movement systems or some other system that you felt truly changed the, the forward trajectory of your practice? I think the biggest time was there was early in 2010, I really started to receive a lot of medical referrals. So I, I got to the point where it was pretty standard. I would get at least five a week. And I remember getting to the point where it was so difficult to check where that patient was and then be able to implement what I wanted to that day without missing something. That got incredibly frustrating because so many were coming in and <clears throat> a local MD that I respect a lot called me and said, why is it taking two weeks for me to get a patient in on your schedule? <laughs> this and is the call that, that happened. That a thousand chiropractors yeah. in the world would yeah. love to get from an MD, right? Like I'm trying to refer you people and my referrals are now stacked up for two to three weeks. Like this is yeah, a good but, problem to have. You know, I don't know that it's uh, actually a good problem. It's just a different problem. It's still a problem. Emotionally, it feels the same. It's just any other problem. Like it's not um, like, yes, it's great that patients are coming in, but it's still a legitimate problem that you really sweat about, cry in the shower, you know, the whole thing. Um, it's tough. But at that point, I realized, you know, I've got to ask more questions, even though I'd already taken SFMA twice at that point. Um, I had to ask Greg Rose and hit him again and again. And every time I'd ask a question, he's like, you're missing stuff. Like you're just, you're not owning the breakouts. Like you're not getting far enough. You must be whatever. And then every time I would go back to it, I'd realize, yes, I'm not getting down to these are the three issues that I'm working on. And this is the graded exposure approach I'm taking. Like bottom line, that's what was happening. So every time I thought I had a system, I realized dead gummit, I'm skipping steps again and I'm missing them, right? There's a difference between skipping a step and missing it. And I was doing both. And, um, when that's happening, you really have to take that honest look back at your systems and see how you can correct that. All right. So you implement the functional movement systems. So you're confident on your, what do you want to say? Functional diagnosis of the patients walking in the door, but that 
that's great and all, but what started changing to increase that number of, of people that you could have in your clinic as well? Because there's no way that that single change led to 140 people a week with, you know, all by yourself. No, I think the biggest scale was that I realized how important it is to have supporting staff that can implement the same system and strategies, if that makes sense. So if you're in the gym model, that may be a trainer. In the chiropractic model, depending on your state, it might be a chiropractic therapy assistant. So I realized how crucial that role is. And um, if you hire an intelligent coach there that can critically think, it's unbelievable how well they can help with the system. So if this is a good time, we'll just go into a little bit of how our systems run at the clinic. I think that might um, answer that question, how we made such a leap. Yeah. I mean, I just real quick want to say, like when you go into any doc, any MD's office, it's not just the MD and the front desk girl. There's multiple layers of staff. But if you go to most chiropractors office, it's like front desk doctor. And it's like, where are the layers of staff? And there's a reason for that. So I hope those listeners identify those layers as you kind of tell us your operational model, if that works. Right. And that's how our system basically runs. So when a new patient comes in, they're obviously greeted by our front desk staff, but that same staff, when we take them back, so we, we encourage every one of our chiropractic assistants to, in the state of Tennessee, get trained to be a chiropractic therapy assistant. And when you're a therapy assistant, you can now be an extension of the chiropractor. You can't do manipulation. You can't, um, you know, do several things, but there are a lot that you can do inside of their scope. So we'll have them take them back. And we're big on video analysis in our clinic. So <clears throat> we start off with the patient coming back and we use the iPad system and um, Spark Motion is the name of the app. And we record their top tier and then write down all that criteria. And that's done by the first person of contact in the clinic. Then the second person, our, my head CTA comes in and then they follow up with several of the, the key breakouts for me on the at the beginning of the visit, and then maybe even motor testing, depending on uh, the case complexity. And then I'm able to take that information, review that, and then I step into that new patient appointment. Does that make sense? Yeah. So let me just let me just make sure I understand this. Patient walks in, they're starting with your, uh, what do you call it, chiropractic therapy assistant, a CTA. Uh, that person takes them back, does some initial testing, which is filming um, and motion analysis, and then the top tier of the SFMA. So you're talking about standing movements. So for those of you who are not familiar with the SFMA, standing movements, can you bend forward, touch your toes? Can you lean back? Can you turn your head to the right? Can you turn your head to the left? Like pretty basic stuff, right? And then they might even investigate further based on that criteria. And then what's, what you're getting is basically you're they've kind of funneled it down, and now you step in the room and you kind of have skimmed off the easy stuff and now it's your job to kind of look at the hard stuff. Yeah, exactly. And I can spend more time with that motivational interviewing standpoint and finding out what their real goals are and make this about them, if that makes sense. So instead yeah, of I me mean, having to spend my time um, going through things that can be systematic that a team can dramatically help you with, I'm able to come in and do the key things that I think is crucial that the chiropractic physician is doing. So let me just kind of put this in the, for those of you who are going, oh, I don't understand this. So if you go into, let's say you have the flu, you go into the MD's office, their nurse or medical assistant's going to do your blood pressure, your pulse, your temperature, because the doctor doesn't need to spend time doing that. We're going to that. We're going to height and weight. Then they're going to take you in a room and then a nurse may walk in and maybe draw blood, run the panel. And then based on that, then the doctor's going to come in and now we'll have 
vital signs will have uh, symptoms, complaints, and maybe this blood panel. And from that, now you can find out what's really going on and dig deeper instead of wasting all your precious time with that low-level stuff. Is that a good correlative? Yeah, that's good. And then, so that's what our new patient visit's like, if that makes sense. That's mm-hmm. one of the ways that we've implemented the system to where we can still get all the information. And the, and the other big benefit to me of that is that the whole team gets interaction with the patient. So they get used to seeing a team environment because that we're crucially based on that foundation that the entire team is there to help them. So they're visiting Active Spine and Joint Center. They're not necessarily visiting Jason. Okay. And so based on that model, now that you've kind of included the team, for, for our listeners, how many minutes does that allow you to spend in that initial deep dive uh, patient interview? So you can, it depends on how you want to handle that. But from half an hour, you can cut that down even to 15 minutes if it's a low complexity case. And but, you have a ton of information. And the perception of the patient is that they are that's A, somebody's listening to me, uh, B, somebody cares about me, they don't just throw me in a room and forget about me. Like They have now encountered, let's see, front desk staff, CTA doing the filming. Uh, I don't know if it was another person doing the breakouts and then you. So that's four people in your office and everybody's smiling and cheering and calling them by name. Their, their, their emotional impression of this place is huge before you've ever delivered treatment. Absolutely. So the value to them is definitely a lot higher. And we hear that consistently that it's the most thorough exam they've had, et cetera. Uh, but I think it's key too that on when it comes to a clinic, you know, there are only so many words a doctor can say in a day. And I'm pretty big on that, meaning we have to be efficient with our communication because if we're seeing a lot of people, um, if we're also then saying, okay, I want you to stand here, feet together, and we're going through the top tier, literally the fatigue sets in dramatically. Uh, and that's why I used to think that, you know, 100 a week is the max you could see because you're literally downright exhausted and only doing paperwork. But when it comes down to adding that team efficiency, it dramatically allows you to help more people. We'll be right back with our interview with Jason Holm after this. Are you a chiropractor or physical therapist working long hours, worrying about lower repayments and missing out on quality time with your family? You can double your income without working more hours by adding a gym to your practice. Clinic Gym Hybrid Solutions has a step-by-step guide that dramatically simplifies and speeds up the addition of a fitness center and its monthly recurring revenue. In just six months, you can be on your way to freedom. Visit clinicgymhybrid.com today for a free downloadable PDF and complimentary consultation to get you started. That's clinicgymhybrid.com. Okay, so that's the new patient interview. And then from there, you, you know what the diagnosis is or you're diving into that. And then you either want to tell me the completion of that visit or do you want to tell me what it's like for a, a returning client? Yeah, I think the, the next piece that's most important is then what are a couple of the other key things that we do that um, speed up time, make things more efficient and allow you to do more with the patient. So, you know, one of our big premises in the clinic is to be a self-efficacy clinic. So one of our keys when it comes to the movement side of things is that when we initiate them doing the movements, we make sure that they're getting a lot of active time doing their therapy here in the clinic while they have oversight from me, from the therapy assistant, et cetera. And so Jason, you there, bud? each visit when we you. see them, it okay. goes one of two ways. Either they may see me at the beginning or they may start with their therapies for the day or their progressions and then I'll be able to touch base with them and grab them and bring them into a room, et cetera. So the key concepts are that 
you can think of it how you can stagger the appointments more appropriately. So say you've got three appointments coming in at noon, 12.15, 12.30. Well, in that reality, I can start with someone at 12, if that makes sense. And then the what by 12.15, that individual's already going on exercise, but we could also start them on their rehab as well. Does that make sense? Yeah. So you can have them go ahead and get started with their things and their progressions of the day. We can evaluate if we need to advance it, retest any you know, top tier breakouts that we're doing and then keep them progressing. So at any given time, if you get to mid late afternoon, there'll be seven or eight individuals um, going through their rehab plan for the day in the clinic at the same time. Like it's, there's a lot of overlap with that. If that makes sense, builds team community. They're able to, um, you know, see others. Like we see a ton of tendinopathy in our clinic and when they're doing rehab on that, they'll very commonly, they'll see someone else like, with the same tendinopathy. And um, it's pretty interesting how that community builds, whether it's a gym environment or just a heavy rehab-based clinic. That's awesome. So so at any point, there might be eight, eight patients actively doing something in the clinic, but you're not stacking eight people in an hour of your schedule, right? You're, you're windowing right, it exactly. off. Yeah. Okay. This right. is, yeah, this yeah. is interesting. So if you look at the revenue model, uh, you know, there's people using your space all the time to progress, but you're really kind of hand selecting the best use of your time for those high repayment uh, encounters and, and uh, techniques, right? Absolutely. So the times where it is, so for example, another thing we do is we have a therapy assistant take the patient back, say that we're going to use dry needling that day. We'll have the patient cleaned and prepped before I even go in there. So they'll be on the table, clean prep for that region. Then I'll come in, drop needles, and then be able to move on. Yeah, it's like a surgeon. Yeah, it's like a surgeon, right? Like they're not cleaning the wound, but you know nobody's making the incision. You're doing. You're the one doing the dry needling because you shouldn't be wasting your time cleaning and prepping the area. But it does need to be done, and you don't want to overlook it. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Very cool. All right. And then what are some of the other systems you think that are allowing you to get to basically twice what you thought you'd ever get to? I mean, this is incredible. You were pondering maybe 75 was your cap and now you're twice that. That's amazing. I think that's, those are definitely the main ones. I think the biggest thing is your space matters too. And I know, I think this is your special, your specialty more than, you know, mine would be, but the way our space is laid out really is conducive to this. Um, I think that you need to have some foresight with that. Yeah. We'll talk about what you've learned because I, I know I talk to a lot of people and they go, well, I wanted to set it up this way, or I want to set up that way. And I'm, and I'm saying like, you think that right now, but as you run this model more and more and you have more people doing rehab and more people transitioning, you know, you don't want, uh, you don't want these relegated spaces, but what have you learned, uh, in developing your space? So our first clinic that we had, and I was there for, five years. And it was a commercial space in a shared building. And one of the big PT chains was down the hallway from me. And this size was, it was about 1,450 square feet. So basically it was really poorly laid out as well. So I had one rehab bay, I had two treatment rooms and that was really all we had. We had a bunch of dead space in this one area, just the way it was laid out. It was an old dialysis clinic that went bankrupt. And this was their executive office, but we got a great deal on it. So we had to take it. But anyway, yeah, so they didn't cover any build out on it. So the cost at the time to start up a clinic when you're straight out of school 
Uh, you just got to take what you can get and run with it. So it looked beautiful. It was just the most inefficient thing I've ever seen. But anyway, <laughs> so that was one of the number one bottlenecks for us as well. Like we could not turn over rooms or we could not, we couldn't have three people in the rehab bay. Like it would literally, you would, you would just be hitting each other. So that was a, a dramatic change for us. Then when it came time to move, that's when I think we made a, a really, really intelligent decision, which was we had the option to either stay in a commercial space and with the price point that we wanted to be at for overhead, we could either get a 2,000 or 2,200 square foot space and we could run with that. Or there was this dance studio that was for sale that was 5,400 square feet. So even though it, at first it looked like it wasn't the ideal layout for us, it actually turned out to be perfect once we finally sat down and drew up plans for it. So um, the way it's constructed is at first it was just two big dance rooms in the front building. Then there's this building that's instantly attached to it that has an upstairs and a downstairs. And the upstairs is roughly 1,500 square feet. The downstairs is about the same and except there's a garage, which is currently getting converted over to be more rehab space for us. Well, with that layout, what it allows us to do is the front side is the more clinically relevant side, if that makes sense. The back half is all rehab. So the upstairs is where we do our small group classes. Um, and then we do meetings. And then if I need someone to do some sprints in the winter, something like that, we have just a long enough where if I need to do them to do some cutting drills or karaoke something like that. We have enough room in the upstairs space and then the downstairs space is the main rehab space. So we're able to now move people in and out of rooms for what we're looking for. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I just want to clarify for, for folks listening that maybe are coming out of a traditionally like, you know, hallway with treatment rooms on either side, 10 by 10, you know, and there's six of those kind of, uh, are you talking that your treatment rooms where you would do dry needling or adjustments, are those still private, smaller offices and then it opens out to a larger rehab area? Yeah, exactly. So those are on the front half of the building. So when you walk in the clinic, you have the front desk, then we have five treatment rooms. So one that's designated for dry needling, one that's multi-purpose, and then we have two initial consultation exam rooms, um, and then a front office, and then one more room. Okay, fantastic. And then can I see from, if I'm standing at the front desk, can I see the rehab area or is it through like no. a door at the end of the hall? Yep. It's through a door at the end of the hall. Okay. And so I, every time uh, someone goes through there, it's this aha. Oh my gosh. I had no idea you had this. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that that psychologically sets people up too. like, as soon as they see that there's this big wide open space and that the expectation is not staying in this treatment room, their perception of what medicine is drastically changes, you know? Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, because when they come back there, it's different music, it's different vibe, it's different colors. And there's um, nothing more uh, more effective at compliance than when you have, say, a young 35-year-old healthy male trying to do some rehab and he looks over and he sees a 72-year-old grandmother pulling it off perfectly like a hip hinge or something. And you just say, that that's all I want you to do, what she's doing right there. And they go, they look at you and they have this look of like, all right, I got to get serious here, you know, and that I love that open feel and having all those bodies around because it does motivate everybody who's doing something. It's absolutely fantastic. We had this happen last week. We have a lady in her early seventies that is a Boston qualifier runner with, they got referred in for hamstring tendinopathy. And then we've got a, an acute hamstring strain um, in here and he's just watching her pull off 
a Nordic hamstring drill and wondering how in the world is that possible? And she's just absolutely crushing it. So it's a exactly what you're saying. That's awesome. I love it. Yeah. And it's, it's so great. And it's fun for, I think it's fun for the clinicians and the rehab staff to be in that big open room and smiling and high-fiving. And, you know, it's, it's a much more active form of therapy than what most people are doing in their clinic. So just for your psychological, uh, you know, happiness during the day, it's, it's impactful. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Because when you walk through there, it's, it's just a complete different vibe. It's awesome. Well, fantastic. Well, Jason, for those people, and we're not going to end it here, but I just want, if they're like, oh my God, this, this guy is describing exactly what I want in practice. Can our folks reach out to you? Uh, and, and absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Movementconsults.com is probably the easiest website to get a hold of me quickly. Um, or if you want to see a video of what the clinic looks like, you can go to our clinic website. It's activesjc.com. And there's an introductory video that walks you through the clinic um, on the front page. Give that, that first website again, because I want to make sure it's clear. Movementconsults.com. Okay. And so that's for professionals that are interested in kind of implementing this model. Absolutely. Okay. Yep. Cool. Now I got to ask, so there you were, this guy's uh, way back in the day saying, Hey, I, I got 10 people a day. I'd love to send you. You get all these things systematized. You're kicking butt, you're seeing 140, 150 people a week. You got all the support staff. Uh, you still have a waiting list? We do. It's just different. Does that make sense? So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I think that's the interesting thing. You know, now I'll tell you that uh, my spider sense gets pretty aggressive when it starts to get long, when I know I'm about to hear hear about it, if that makes sense. I've gotten a lot better with that. Uh, and it just goes in seasons. Like December was just an absolute slaughter with trying to get everyone in appropriately. Um, we struggled as far as that goes. But uh, now we have Dr. Chris Mulhall, um, associate finally his license came in this last few days and he's going to be a super help in the clinic uh to take that model dramatically higher if that makes sense when he uh when he got his license he just wrap up a, a box of running shoes and say i hope you're ready <laughs> yeah so he was in practice in florida for a year and when he came up here he's been here now about five weeks and when he at that first week, he goes, I am really tired. And all he was doing was observing. It was fantastic. But it's like, yes, this is what you signed up for. This is what it's like. I mean, it's, I think that's the hard part. Like it's sexy from the outside, the idea of it. It's exactly what I always wanted. Uh, I didn't realize how tired I would be. Uh, that's definitely a real thing. And then you have two little kids and then it hits you twice. So your eyelids never open all the way again, it feels like. But you're just constantly running and it's, I mean, it's exciting, but it is definitely still a labor intensive position. There's no question. Yeah. Well, what's interesting, you know, whenever you talk to MDs, like no MD primary care provider ever, you know, went into med school saying, Hey, what I want to do is spend three minutes with every patient and not feel like I'm giving them a complete diagnosis and not know their name, but they get trapped in that. What they think is that trap of, I need to see more people in an hour to make the bills pay. But I love the fact that you did something similar to what I did, but it's like, let's look at this problem differently. Let's stay within the box and say, Hey, I still want to spend time with my patients. How else can we do this? And that's through empowering the rest of your team. And, uh, I love the fact that you solve the problem in a, in a different way. That's also financially rewarding, by the way, like there's no reason you can't make money providing a high service environment. Yeah. I remember sitting down one time with a sports medicine director of a local hospital and we were having lunch and, I had finally convinced him that he needs to take an SFMA course and see how we can look at things a little bit differently. And he agreed to go. So we went to St. Louis and he got to experience it. But I remember when we sat down 
again, two years later, we had big insurance changes, right? And we hear about this across the country. It's happening to everyone in the profession. Everyone's getting squeezed as far as that's concerned. And I had to let him know, look how things are changing and how we may be offering up uh, different opportunities or care plans for patients. And this was a conversation I was quite nervous about because at the time he was our major referrer. And he goes, no, that sounds fantastic that you're making that change. I completely understand it. And he goes, I think it's going to be easier for me to refer you patients out because, you know, one of the biggest complaints that he has referring to PT or Cairo is that it's so hard to pay that deductible bill every single visit, if that makes sense. Um, so being able to work with them on care plans of costs to where they can finance like anything else, meaning if their bill is going to be $800 for their care plan or whatever it is, they can break that up over monthly payments. Um, being able to go into that was very helpful. But when talking to him, he goes, man, it's just unbelievable how you would think this model would be highly lucrative. But at the time, when you keep seeing reimbursements cut and cut, if your systems aren't on point, you can see how a lot of professionals are going to really struggle. A lot of the ones doing the right thing. And that's why I'm so passionate about systems. Like you have to make this systematic or else, because we know this insurance game is going to keep going the way it's going. And then if someone's now saying, I want to be more uh, self-pay based and oriented as a clinic, you have to have a way for those individuals to be able to finance that or be able to pay for that inside of their monthly budget, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that systems create profit. You know, I mean, just like it, the systems of diagnosis, like using the SFMA, creates success and and helps you get to that true cause. When you have those systems in your practice, you can control your profit a whole lot better than just running and gunning and shooting from the hip all the time, which is what ninety nine percent of people do. Right. I think it's hard, um, and I understand oh, that. Yeah, you know, it's hard. when we see, yeah, when we see <laughs> other providers, and you spend a lot of time with other professionals. You know, you can finally see what they do. But, you know, one of my uh, biggest mentors is the head um, pediatrician for Vanderbilt. And when I talk to him and see how his business runs and those things, and I mean, he's got massive staff. I mean, ginormous staff. So from our perspective, we're still very small business. We have to be very efficient. We all have to wear a ton of hats. It's just a different business, you know. So it's hard for the chiropractic profession because there's no easy model to just take, rip, and run with it. Um, you really have to find that efficiency on your own or find how to take where you're at now with your knowledge base and your skill set and then transition to making that the most efficient. And I think that's what we need to see more of. So that's when I hear that you know, you're doing more consulting as far as educating people how to make this transition to the clinic gym. I think that's absolutely incredible because you have to have people that are proven that have done it, that are still doing it. That's the key. Um, you know, some of these antiquated models, I just don't think you're going to cut it in 2018 and beyond. No. And you got to look for other pathways. And, you know, I, I love the fact of our model. It turns the the front end clinic into, you know, you're just adding a back end offer on top of that. But if your front end clinic is, is kicking butt, like what Jason's talking about here, man, you are in hog heaven. It, because the other thing that this, we haven't even touched on, but the other thing this creates is all of your team members want to see this place succeed, right? Because they are enjoying what they do. They're learning, they're gaining more confidence. So their mouths out in the community talking all about it. So it's not just you doing all the marketing, but they want to see it because they love the challenge as well. Whereas if you don't empower them, a lot of times they just sit there and you know show up at eight and leave at five and don't really do too much after that to, uh, to build it. Right. And that gets into another really hard business skill, which is finding the right team members, right? Um, 
you know, there's a million consultants on that, but until you get good at that, it's always going to be a challenge. It is important to have the right, the right team around you. And you're, you're for those. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, you're never going to find the right people on the front end who are already amazing, but you can certainly find good people who you can train the heck out of and help them see the model. But when you have a system to train them into it, it takes like one tenth the time and gives you 10 times the result. So uh, you know, training those people and bringing them in, bringing in the right person who's ready to learn and then creating exactly the person you want is always a better uh, approach than just trying to hire the perfect person. I think that's exactly it. I think it's, you know, there's a great book called Who, it's just WHO, that talks about hiring the right individual and how important and how costly it is if you don't hire an A candidate. And I think that book really helped shape the way we looked at things as far as looking for what is the right person. And you basically just highlighted the biggest highlight of the book, which is you are, you are looking for the individual that is the right person as far as their uh, personality, their um, work ethic, their passions, but they don't need to come in with the skill sets. Like that's, there are trainable things and there are not trainable things, right? The intangibles are what you're hiring. It's not the skill set they bring in. You feel like that's saving you time on the front end, but that backfires all the time if they don't have the intangibles that are going to be a team player that understand the mission, that are excited about movement, you know, those things. The rest is, like you said, teachable. And if you have the right systems, you can set up great educational systems with, you know, it's so easy now to record a webinar. Well, you can record those to do great on-ramping training for your staff about your mission, about here's how we're going to, if we break down this movement, here's how we're going to go about it. Here's why we do what we do with graded exposure or, you know, whatever path you're taking. There's so many great elements to do now that um, it, it's the key is systems and hiring the right people. You nailed it. Yeah. And that marketing that you're doing is also to, you know, marketing as much to get patients in as it is the right staff, because when that person hears about you and what you're doing, they want to be part of it. So anyways, that could be a whole nother podcast. What do you say? We do that in a couple months there, buddy. I'm down. I'm down. Well, fantastic. Well, Jason, this has been awesome. Uh, It's awesome to hear your success since that, uh, you know, little soiree we had there in uh, at Duke university and uh, how much has been created since then. And what you've built. And uh, the only downside I know of is that now you have two kids and you don't use your big green egg as much. So you got to fix that. It kills me. It kills me. <laughs> I am excited though. I get to cook some filet for our head chiropractic assistant this weekend. So I finally get to fire it up. But man, it's just, it's funny. You know, I, we talked about this recently, how sick we've been in Nashville. I mean, it's been unbelievable, the, the flu and um, the respiratory infections that have been going on this winter. But Man, I always used to say, and we always used to talk about it in chiropractic school, like, wow, look how healthy we are. Our immune systems are incredible. And it's just funny how we create these, you know, fallacies in our own head. But it's really clear. There's a dramatic difference between, oh, wait, I have kids that are around other little kids. Therefore, now I'm sick. And, oh, I'm just not around little kids that are around little kids. Um, <laughs> I think that's the, the the biggest thing. Yeah. I got a buddy of mine starting his kid into preschool in a few months. And I'm like, oh, be ready for the first six weeks. Like, <laughs> have some vacation available, buddy, because you're going to be taking some days off. So, And there's nothing you can do nope. about it. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, for everyone listening, can you give us uh, give them the website once again to get a hold of you and, and to help find the system and find uh, how, how to free themselves to see as many people as they want a week? 
movementconsults.com. And then if you want to see our clinic website, it's activesjc.com. Fantastic. Well, on behalf of the good Dr. Jason Holm, this is Dr. Josh Satterley saying, go out there, maximize your license and live the life you dreamt of. Jason, thank you for your time today. Thanks, brother. Had a great time. Thanks for listening to Clinic Gym Radio. If you're ready to double your profit without working longer hours, please visit clinicgymhybrid.com and find out how easy it is to get started on your path to freedom. That's clinicgymhybrid.com.